Uh, Father God, thank you that you are a speaking God. Uh, we wouldn't know you other, unless you had made yourself known. Thank you for your word, your written word, and thank you um, for ultimately it points us to um, your, the living word, the word incarnate, our Lord Jesus. So please reveal uh, him to us. Please reveal your glory to us through your words today. Uh, soften our hearts. Um, please speak deeply to us. Please transform us. Uh, for your glory, uh, through your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm reading from Matthew 13, verses 24 to 43. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it in my, into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So what was fulfilled, what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Hello. It's wonderful to be back and to see so many familiar faces uh, this morning. Um, yes, if you've, only, if you've been with us for, I guess, the, just a year or two, uh, you may not have been able to join us back in 2019 when I was here in the, with the team for about 10 months, uh, and that was just an amazing time for me. I'm very thankful to God for it, a significant, significant time for my own growth and reflection, and it's great to be back with you today. And now I'm working with CMS, the, the mission agency. And uh, that's been fabulous. It's, it gives me the opportunity to visit churches. Our, our job is to partner with churches in setting aside, setting apart long-term overseas 
gospel workers and helping churches to do those partnerships well and to get active and mobile in mission. And I'm here today in that capacity. It's great to, to, be, to be joining Frances uh, in, in her fabulous work at SEP in Santiago. And um, what an incredibly strategic opportunity that is, the opportunity to be sending trained workers, not only throughout Chile, but also uh, across South America. And this morning, I'd like to invite you to partner with Francis. And CMS has the, the, prayer, the partnership essentials you may have heard of, the pray, care, give, and go essentials. And that's really what partnership's all about. I don't know if there are people here who are in a position where you may be able to go as missionaries at some point, or you might know someone who does. But everyone in the church can be involved in pray, care, and give. And this is something that uh, we can do as a whole church, and that's fabulous. Uh, but it's also something that we need to do personally. And so the invitation actually is to get the QR code and, and sign up for her prayer points, to care for her through reading those partnership updates, taking an interest in her ministry, staying in touch through emails. And if you can partner financially and contribute towards Francis's costs, that would be fabulous too. CMS suggests $35 a month if you're able to do that, but any amount. And the great thing is that God is at work through all sorts of ministries in different parts of the world. And it's a great privilege for us to be able to partner with those through partnering with a CMS missionary. So um, let me pray as we dive into this word and see what the Lord has to tell us about our life and about his mission, about the, the whole world, really. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we look at uh, Christ's words to his church here. And we pray that you would mobilize our church more and more for your mission, that you would help us to grow deeply in the truth that Christ has revealed for us as we read and reflect on your word together now. Amen. Okay, so has anyone here ever tried to grow anything? Now, I know you guys quite well. Uh, so, you know, put your hand up if you, like, you've got a farm or you've got, you're involved in a market garden or you've got your own garden or, you know, come on, let's have a look. Yeah, I mean, really, it's probably all of you in some ways, isn't it? You know about this stuff. Um, you know, and sometimes the Bible can seem a little distant because it's historically, uh, like it's from so long ago, um, 2,000 or more years old. But today, Jesus is talking about growing plants, and that's something that we, you know, we get. This is something for every generation, isn't it? For every part of the world, you can kind of get a sense of what Jesus is talking about here for every generation and every geography. And there's a lot to learn about life through growing things, isn't there? I'm sure you've noticed this. Uh, you know, it requires a level of knowledge and it requires a level of care, attending to things and trying to create the right context for growth. It requires patience. You know, it's much like life really, isn't it? And we could go on and on about those connections. Today, Jesus tells a story about growing things. And this story is a parable. Uh, that is, it's, it's more than just an illustration for life. It's, it's a bit like a riddle to decipher. Uh, you see, the stuff we have towards the end of the parable where Jesus kind of tells us 
who's who in the parable and what represents. Jesus didn't actually tell the crowds that. He would go around and, and tell his story about a person planting seed and then an enemy coming in and, and then he'd go on to another story and people are left scratching their heads and they think, what's that story about? What's it all about? And so in some ways, don't lose the fact that this is a riddle for us to work out how does this connect with our lives. And actually this morning we're looking at three parables. There's one main parable, but then there's two little supporting parables that we'll come to. And the main parable has five parts. And then it has that interpretative key at the end that is just for the disciples. So it's a story about verse 24. If you've got your Bibles or your devices, or maybe you'll even pop up behind me. Hey, look at that. That's great. That was quick. Uh, Verse 24. It's a story about a planting. A man sows good seed in his field. It's pretty straightforward. In many ways, it draws our attention back to the, the, the parable from earlier in chapter 13, the sowing of the, of the fields. But secondly, there is a sabotaging. Verse 25, while everyone is sleeping, his enemy came and sowed we- weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouts, ears up pop the weeds as well. Thirdly, there is a risk. So the man's servants, they report the matter to him. They say, uh, there's weeds out there. And the man already knows that an enemy has done the dirty. And so the servants, you know, they do the right thing and they say, well, master, would you like us to go and pull up the weeds? But the owner says, no, there's a risk While you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat along with it. And this is an unacceptable risk. It's interesting, isn't it? Fourthly, there is a solution that he provides. And the solution is a co-growing. He's actually going to allow both the wheat and the weeds to grow alongside each other until the harvest. And fifthly, the harvest. And, And then... He will tell his harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So what are some of the the key things this story is about? Jesus tells us at the beginning that it's about the kingdom of heaven, but I don't know, when you're walking the dog or watering the lawn, you're probably not thinking, you know, what is the kingdom of heaven about? Most people are not asking that question, but we are asking lots of questions about life, what the meaning of life, what the purpose of life is, what does faith do, and those kind of things. And I actually think that's that's exactly what this is about. It's about the purpose of human life. And Jesus, in some ways, is saying, look, the kingdom of heaven kind of just comes into our lives. And that's kind of what what it's about. Now, this is also not a small parable. This is not like just, you know, how to deal with those frustrating situations in life. Oh, I put the green bin out instead of the blue bin or whatever. Oh, dear. This is not about those little things. This is about the big stuff in life. What does the kingdom of heaven have to do with our lives? But not only is it a story about human life, it's, it's also talking about that big mystery of human life, the coexistence of good and evil. You know, people, a lot of people find this a very hard issue to tackle and you know it's the sort of thing that can be a belief blocker you know if there's this if there's a infinitely powerful god and an infinitely good god and there's evil in the world why would he let evil exist in the world but jesus is saying you know let 
the wheat and the weeds grow together because there's a risk. But this parable is also, as I'm sure you can work out, it's also about the future. That for some it's about hope, that there is something truly good ahead, and we can hang our hats on that. For others, it's a warning of judgment and destruction. So what do we learn? What I'd like to spend the next few minutes doing is looking at the three big lessons that I think this passage tells us. Those who know my preaching know that I always forget to get an outline in, in time. So I've delivered on my pattern again today, but I'll give you the outline right now. There are three points. These are our three big lessons. There is, number one, there is a heavenly plan. Number two, there are two categories of people. And number three, there is still time. Okay, so there is a heavenly plan. There are two categories of people and there is still time. So the first big lesson then is from Jesus. He's telling us there is a heavenly plan. And as Jesus is explaining this parable later on, he says that he is the one who is the owner and he is the one who has planted the seed, the word of of Christ. Perhaps it's the gospel sort of planted in, in the hearts of people. And that's in verse 37. So Jesus is not just um, a figure of history, although he obviously is. You know, it's not that he's just you know, interesting but just as irrelevant as any of the other people who are now dead. It's not like that. He's actually simultaneously in history but also over history in some ways because that's what he's doing here, isn't it? He's talking about the unfolding of human history. He's involved in establishing this purpose for human beings that we be actually redeemed towards an original purpose for which the Creator had for us. And he as well, Jesus is also involved in the wrapping up of human history. He's not just a player, he is the one who will make the judgment of whether a person has fulfilled God's purpose for their lives or failed God's purpose in their life. And, and what is that purpose? Because when this seed is, when this seed is sown, um, it's good seed and it's all fine until the, the saboteur comes along. The intention is that this wheat bears fruit, you know, it becomes grain that is useful to the owner and it's brought into the owner's barn where he wants it to be and he can put it to good use. And of course, if you're thinking, oh, well, that's nice, isn't it? All to be stacked away in God's grain for eternity, in God's um, barn for eternity. He actually spells out for us what, what he's actually on view in verse 43. He says, no way. It's not an eternal storage cupboard. No way. Um, the future for humans who fulfill their purpose is the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. I mean, we don't look at the sun, do we? I mean, the sun gives life to our plants, but you can't look at it because it's just, it's just too bright, too powerful, and it's this incredibly powerful life source of, of warmth and light. And Jesus uses that image to describe what you and I will be when we come into the presence of our Heavenly Father. Isn't that staggering? that you will shine like the sun in the presence of the Father. 
So, you know, what do we actually think life is? I mean, a lot of people kind of, there's this idea of an accident of evolution, you know, that we're just really, really lucky cells that just ping together somehow, okay, a long period of time, but no real purpose in these cells coming together, uh, you know, other than maybe just to enjoy life at the top of the food chain. And it's, you know, it's kind of lucky, isn't it, that we kind of ping together and are at the top of the food chain and we, you know, we have this power over the, the, the whole creation. We can make decisions that affect uh, the whole planet, really. Um, but no intrinsic meaning to life, right? I mean, I'm random, but it sort of turns out that random is okay. We can all get on with things. I mean, that's just rubbish. I mean, where, do you, where does that idea come from? And how is that at all um, viable? There's nothing random about the human purpose, is there? I mean, why do we all care so much about what's going on in Ukraine at the moment? It's just bad luck, isn't it? You know, nothing to do with me. But no, we're irate. You know, it's unjust what Putin is doing, blowing up hospitals and schools and firing on refugees as they try to flee. You, you can't do that to human beings. You can't do it. And we know that there is, there is something valuable. All people know, perhaps with the exception of psychopaths, all people know that there is intrinsic value in all human beings, that there is a purpose for our existence. Of course, some people will say, well, you know, there might be some purpose, but, you know, how could you ever discover it? And, you know, it's some deep, unsolvable mystery that no one should ever have the audacity to try to reduce to some religion or some code of behaviour. You know, maybe there is some divine being or power out there, but it'd be arrogant, wouldn't it, for a religion to say that they know who or what that being is. But this is where Jesus' parable fits in, and he kind of says, yeah, no, I'm going to tell you. I am going to tell you about what the purpose for humanity is and what this seed is growing for. The, the question for us is, is he kidding himself or is he speaking the truth? Jesus is saying life is like wheat planted for harvesting. The Christian life is like wheat planted for harvesting. So our life begins, life grows Life bears fruit, and then life is gathered into God's barn, despite the presence of a saboteur. God's goal for human beings is that we shine like the sun in the loving presence of God as king. Now, some implications. I mean, if this is true, don't despair. You know, we may be feeling that being a Christian is less and less viable these days, more and more ways that Christianity is being counted as unacceptable. Does it feel like we're getting smaller and smaller and, you know, weirder and weirder as the years go by? Uh, but Jesus is saying that the wheat and the weeds are living together and it's all part of the plan. So those who are believers and those who, are un who see unbelievers and they see the difference between us, shouldn't surprise us and shouldn't depress us and it certainly shouldn't make us give up being Christian or go soft 
I'm being Christian. Remember the other two parables? There was in verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field and though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. See, this kingdom coming from heaven is going to be magnificent, not minuscule. It's not going to be the tiniest seed. It's going to be the big tree. Or the, the micro parable in verse 33. He says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms. It says something different here, doesn't it? About 60 60 pounds, let's call it 30 kilograms of flour, until it worked through all the dough. So you start with, you know, all that dough, and that's quite a lot, isn't it? 30 kilograms of dough. I mean, how much are we looking at here? I don't know. It's a big pile of dough, isn't it? She's got a lot of uh, working to do, but she works through this massive pile of dough, the untransformed human race, but as the yeast is mixed through this whole batch, then the woman, uh, it, it, it starts to become enormous, doesn't it? Can you imagine where it goes next? It probably fills her whole house. That's a picture of what's going on. Starts, you know, smallish, or in the case of 30 kilograms of dough, smaller than it ends anyway. So don't despair. You, you are part of God's grand plan. It's going places. Jesus promises it. But the second thing is don't become complacent, and that's where our second big lesson is all about. And we'll move more quickly through these next two lessons. The second big lesson is there are two categories of people. How, how does that sit with you? This is Jesus talking, isn't it? Two categories of people. Isn't there, you know, isn't there good and evil in everyone? I mean, where do you, where do you draw the line? Um, you know, I think we know that, there, that we're all made in the image of God and we're all corrupted by sin. So there's kind of good and evil in everyone, right? And so even the worst person is capable of kindness sometimes and even the kindest person is capable of selfishness at times. Don't we all sit somewhere on that spectrum between good and evil? And... You know, this is puzzling, isn't it? This is coming from Jesus. Isn't he the one who teaches us not to discriminate? To invite the outsider to become an insider, you know, to, to get rid of that gap, to break down the barrier. Uh, isn't he the one who tells us to be unsatisfied with the idea of there being disadvantaged in our community and advantaged in our community? No, just we're all, we're all kind of one, aren't we? We're all worth the same thing, so... What's going on here? How could this be the same guy telling us that there are two types of people? What do you think he means by the wheat and the weeds? He tells us, verse 38, the field is the world, the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom who have had the gospel truth planted in their hearts. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. 
So it's not a good evil spectrum Jesus is talking about. What are the two categories he's talking about? You know, I was, when I was preparing this, I was thinking, oh yeah, and there's probably the third category as well, you know, just the nice people, you know, the people who are, you know, they're not necessarily Christians, but they're nice. I'm thinking, hang on, I can't actually add a third category in here. Jesus says there's two categories. I can't add a third category. Now, the two categories are people of the kingdom planted by the Son of Man and people of the evil one planted by the devil who is the enemy of the Son of Man. Uh, this is confronting, isn't it? It's quite brutal in a lot of ways. The two types of people we're talking about are those who are for Jesus and those who are against him. Now, notice the weeds may not know that they are for or against, sorry, that they are against Jesus, but their role in the story in some way is part of this sabotage. They're caught up. People of the world are caught up in the devil's sabotage of God's agenda of redemption, and some more knowingly than others. So we, we each, I think, have to ask ourselves this question. Am I one of the people who is participating in the agenda of the Son of Man? And what does that look like, you know? Gladly putting my hope in being grain in his barn, longing for the day of shining like the sun, which is something that he will do for me. It's not something I can achieve for myself. Or am I someone who's, you know, frankly, you know, disinterested in the agenda of the Son of Man? You know, Jesus was a nice man, good teacher, Great, tick. Uh, you know, you're not trying to actively vandalise his work, are you? Um, but is it possible that, in fact, those who are not f for him are against him? Is it possible that we could actually be acting as an agent of the devil? That people in our world are pawns on the side of, on the devil's side of the chessboard? It's confronting, isn't it? Um, you know, what are some specific examples of participating in the work of the devil? This is something that Christians can get caught up in as well, isn't it? I mean, God wants our marriages to work. I mean, I'm not saying, I know that people have great pain in marriage, but if you're in a marriage and you're, you're um, finding that there are times when you just sort of think, you know, I don't really care about what, what this person is saying, I'm right here. And, you know, and, and you, you kind of don't work out the, the fact that this creates damage to the marriage. You know, the devil is actually wanting your marriage to crash. Uh, he wants it to die because he's trying to sabotage the good things that God is doing. And so, you know, there are times when we have to resist selfishness. There are times when we have to double down on, on considerateness and faithfulness and purity I mean, think of the issue of porn, for example. You know, it's okay, no one's getting hurt with, you know, if I look at porn, it's just a few photographs or whatever. But Satan's agenda is to undermine the dignity of human beings. He wants us all to fail. He doesn't want anyone to be shining like the sun in the kingdom. And, you know, so he's quite happy for us to see that, you know, that, that body, that object for consumption. You know, she's not eternally valuable. She's not a dignified person. She's not a daughter or a sister or a mother or a creature who reflects the profound dignity 
of being God's image bearer. You know, we can participate in what the devil is trying to wreck just by our recklessness. This is really hard. This is really hard. And there are many examples we could go on and on. But, you know, there is right and wrong. But Jesus is not talking about this spectrum where we draw a line. The Bible is telling us that in actual fact we have all sinned. And the only thing that takes those of us who are the the people of the kingdom out of the wheat category is the, the seed that's been planted. The wheat is no longer a weed. Um, that's not quite the way the passage puts it, but that's how we see it elsewhere. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and that we all actually face the fire. We all face God's judgment. We've all faced to live up, failed to live up to God's purpose for our lives. And here's the crucial piece of information. Jesus forgives and restores. He is humanity's only hope for restoration. He is growing a crop. We don't grow the crop. We don't grow ourselves. Uh, We have to turn to him. We pray to him and we we need to cling to him and what his agenda is in the world because that is the only way we can fulfill our purpose as human beings. So what are the two, who are the two categories of people? Is it sort of good people and bad people, those people on the left-hand side of the line or those people on the right? No, we're all bad people. We've all participated in Satan's sabotage. Jesus describes them, verse 38, as people of the kingdom, people who are for the king, and people who are against the king. It's challenging, isn't it? What about the risk that if the weeds were uprooted prematurely, that the wheat might be uprooted with them? You know, how, what would it be like if we saw a, a, a picture of what God's judgment was going to look like? And, you know, we know people who are not Christian, and that, might, that really confronts us, doesn't it? People who haven't come to, to know the saving power of Christ. People who resist it, and you think, well, they've got a chance, they've got a chance. But if we saw the judgment of God, would, you know, would our faith endure that? You know, perhaps in a way Jesus is saying we need to grow deeply. We need to grow more deeply in our trust in him. You know, we need to co-grow, I guess, to be able to, to rejoice in God's agenda in the full spectrum of what that means. Jesus says that we need to keep growing. This is a growing agenda. It's not just a, you know, I'm on this team, I'm, that, I'm on that team. We, the wheat is actually growing. And if we're not ready to see his judgment, if we want to bring in that third category and we insist that there must be a third category, you know, maybe we still have more growing to do. This is not easy. The third big lesson is that there is still time. This this story doesn't come at the end, does it? It comes in the middle. And so the question is, are you living for Jesus? If, you, if we were to ask him, is, you know, is this person living for you, Jesus? He would say, yes. Are you living according to your redemption, your purpose to glorify God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit? 
You know, if you're living for Jesus, then, you, you know, brothers and sisters, we have all got to stop participating in the sabotaging work of Satan. And I, I know we, we all do this, and it's horrifying to think about it, isn't it? That we are at times dishonest. That's what he wants us to do. That's what Satan wants us to do, to, to undermine truth and to, to say that truth sort of doesn't really matter. Are we, are we um, caught up in impurity? Are we caught up in the occult? I mean, that one's a bit more obvious, isn't it? Selfishness. All these things are participating in the vandalism that Satan is wanting to do of God's agenda. Satan has a great plan for your sin that it, you know, flourish and undermine God's purposes. And so we, as we are people of Christ, people of the Son of Man, we say, no, we will not let him get a foot in. But perhaps you, you, know, you are aware that you are living against Jesus. It just hasn't kind of risen up to, your, to the top of the list of things that you really need to take seriously. You've sort of just kept him off to the side for a bit. And, you know, I understand life is busy. There's lots of things to evaluate. Perhaps this is the, the big thing that you want to evaluate. Come and seek his forgiveness because this comes at the point of the open invitation. Come and follow him because there is still time. And this is where global mission fits in. Because this is the picture for the whole of the human race. This is not just our group here. We're not just having a pep up for us. This actually relates to the whole of Victor Harbour, the whole of South Australia, Australia, and the whole of the human race. You know, we, we do want to get involved in local evangelism. You want to kind of think about who your friends and family are and your neighbours and colleagues. Are they living for Christ or against him? I mean, there's a limit to what you can do to them, but we can certainly tell them about the Christ who is their hope. But then it's bigger than local evangelism. What about the rest of the country? What about the regions in our country that are not reached? What about the globe? What about South America? You know, mission is actually speaking these hard words of Jesus, asking him, Lord, would you help me to do this today? Because I feel like I'm about to become a little less popular, you know, if I speak like this. Lord, please help me. Because telling the truth is often not easy. Uh, during the week, uh, when you go along to a home group with Francis, ask her about South America and the millions who have come to faith in South America over the past 40 to 50 years. There has been massive, phenomenal growth in gospel work in South America, right? Yes, nods. <laughs> Phew. Uh, ask her. She will give you, um, I'm sure, a lot of information and just she'll give you a sense of perspective about that. It's been a huge harvest of wheat. However, many young believers... Many youth leaders. So many of us have probably, uh, I mean, some of us would have come to Christ late in life. But for someone like myself, you know, I grew up in Sunday school. I learned about Jesus then and, and then as a young uh, a youth and then as a young adult. And there's decades and decades of 
the Lord forming me and shaping me to understand his gospel. But if you come to Christ quite late in life and then you just happen to be a little bit older than some of the other people in the church and they want you to be their leader, you know, there can be a real issue. How are you going to lead that church if you don't have that depth of formation in theology and in the Bible? Well, this is why it really matters to train the pastor's for the churches across Chile and South America. They need an ability to teach adequately. And as in any part of the world, there are false doctrines. You know, the devil's at work trying to sabotage. Ideas like social justice or liberating the oppressed is more important than winning people for Christ and his gospel. That's a falsehood. Things like, God wants you to be rich in dollars. No, he wants you to shine like the sun. It's much better. You can't buy that. So Francis's work with the SEP involves in training pastors in Chile, training pastors for other South American countries, other denominations, and just training leaders generally in the church. We've seen this morning from this passage that the stakes are really, really high. This is the human race that God has an agenda for. This crop of wheat is his redemption of the human race. Jesus is the king. He's the one who's planted that seed and he's the one who will harvest that seed. He is the one that we need to come to. He is the hope for the world and there is still time. What does this mean for you personally? Does it mean that you have business that you need to do with Jesus? Are there sins that you need to repent of? Is there a recommitment to his cause that you need to do? Are you on board with his agenda in principle but you know, not particularly active? Are there some specific tangible things that you could do to say, you know what, I'm actually going to talk to this person or I'm actually going to write a letter or an email to that person. I'm just going to put it out there and take a risk I might be a little bit less popular by the end of the week, but this is important. And what about this global mission? Is partnering in Jesus' global agenda something that you're involved in yet? I know some of you are already involved in praying and giving, but maybe there are some others who would get on board with praying and giving. Well, confronting words this morning, aren't they? Um, And I'm going to finish with these words from verse 41 from Jesus himself and then let me lead us in prayer. He says in verse 41 and following, The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus, our King, the Son of Man, to whom you have given all your authority, the exalted one, the one who wins us back to you, the one who has planted the seeds of salvation in us, 
who has assessed the risk for us and actually says that it's better for us to co-grow and the one who will send out his harvesters. We thank you for sending Christ to us. And Lord, we just we reflect on his words to us this morning and we pray that you would help us to respond in faith, in humility, in worship of Christ, in determination to line our lives up with his agenda, in courage to speak to people around us, to have the difficult conversation, to cross the pain line. Our Father, our prayer is that through our church, through our witness, you would grow uh, new wheat here in Victor Harbour and in Surrounds. And we pray for Frances and her labours and the work of those at SEP and the pastors there who will be sent out. Our prayer, Lord, is that you would work through them to grow the harvest, just like that that yeast through the dough. And we pray that you would blow our minds with how glorious uh, this is. Lord, we're so glad to be part of it. And we pray for your help to play our role, to see the risks, and to keep on putting our hope in Christ's work. And we pray in his name. Amen.